The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. Well, today we're continuing in our series in the book of John. We started in January. We'll go through the end of October looking at the book of John through this invitation to come and see. And we're over half our time. But the remainder of our time, the next three months, will be around this Passion Week, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And we've been kind of, as we've looking at, at this idea of come and see, we've reminded ourselves almost every week why this book was written. And there are a couple of bookends, one at the end and one at the beginning. So today we're going to talk about come and see what time it is, because Jesus, this hour He's been referring to, it is finally coming. This book was written so that we might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing we might have life in His name. That's why the book of John exists. And as John's just beginning to write in the book, he's communicating about this Jesus that he knows, his best friend and his Lord, and he says, and and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, or we beheld His glory the glory of the one and only, the Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this theme of glory continues in the book of John twice as many times as as in any other gospel. And we're going to hear it today. We beheld His glory. And it's easy to forget as we look at His humanity, just how glorious He is. I was on vacation with my family a couple of weeks ago. I mean, if, if you do not want to think about the glory of God, you should not go to Montana or Wyoming. It was just amazing to look at creation and remember who God is and what He's done. And I remember this one place I was at, I was looking at this mountain lake and this reflection of the mountain behind it and the range behind it. And I, I remember standing there and tears filling up my eyes and thinking, if God had only made what my eyes could see, He'd be worthy of our worship and our praise. He made that. And He made this, these geysers, this volcanic activity going on under you, which does not make you feel very big. And He made this range. And then He made marmots, yellow-bellied marmots. And we were just looking at one little corner, one little corner of one little state and one little country of one little nation on one little planet and one little galaxy. And John says that in Jesus we beheld the glory of the One who made all this and so much more. It's amazing to think that this fisherman from Galilee wrote this book with themes of glory and love and light and darkness and connecting messianic prophecies and all these repeated phrases that he hits on over and over and over again. And one of those is this idea of the hour that's coming. So in John 2, Mary wants Jesus to get more wine for these people at the wedding. And he says, woman, what does this have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. And a little bit later in the book, his brothers want him to go up with them to the feast. And he says, I'm not going with you because my hour has not yet come. There are times when the Jewish leaders get so angry at Him, they pick up stones to stone Him or they seek to arrest Him, but it says no one laid a hand on Him because His hour has not yet come. But in the text we read today, we find out His hour has 
actually come. So let's look in John 12, starting in verse 20, at this hour that has come. Now among those who, who went up to worship at the feast, that's a Passover, were some Greeks, some Gentiles. And these came to Philip, who was from Bethsaida in Galilee, and they said, Sir, we wish to see Jesus. And Philip went and told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus. And here are the Greeks, and so Jesus then says, The hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. Now it's time. Now it's time. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now it might not seem like Jesus is answering their question. These Greeks want to see you, but He is, in fact, answering it if we continue on. Whoever loves his life loses it, and whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. So if anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will my servant be. And if anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. So if they want to see me, they've got to come and follow me. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? But for this purpose, I have come to this hour. Father, glorify Your name. Then a voice came from heaven, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And the crowd that stood there heard it and said it had thundered. Others said, no, an angel has spoken to Him. But Jesus answered, this voice has come for your sake, not for mine. And now is the judgment of this world, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to Myself. So there's their answer. When I'm lifted up, then you can see Me and be drawn to Me. He said this to show by what kind of death He was going to die. So the crowd answered, We've heard from the law that the Christ remains forever. How can you say that the Son of Man must be lifted up? How are you going to die if you are the Christ? Who is this Son of Man? So Jesus said, The light is among you for a little while longer. Walk while you have the light, lest darkness overtake you. The one who walks in darkness does not know where he's going. While you have the light, believe in the light, that you might become sons of the light. So he's ending this little section of teaching by reminding them that He is the light of the world and they're to believe in Him. But He says, He who walks in darkness doesn't know where He's going. And just a chapter later, His friend Judas is going to walk out into the darkness to betray Him. See, it's an amazing teaching that's happening. And His hour has come. And the Greeks say, we want to see Jesus he kind of says, if you want to come and see, and if all, truly all nations want to come and see, then I'm going to have to die. The invitation is to come and see a man who will lay his life down, to come and see a man whose soul is troubled, and to come and see a man who's absolutely determined to give glory to God the Father because you're coming to see a man who's expanding the kingdom of God to the ends of the earth and to all creation. And he's fully expressing the rule and reign of God through his own death. So what will we come and see today if we're to come and see Jesus when His hour has come? The first thing is this, we've got to come and see that those who would follow Jesus, for those who would follow Jesus, life comes through death. Life comes through death. Lazarus has been a sign of resurrection that's coming, but death must come first. 
death is the way to life. If anyone would come after me, he must lose his life. I've been thinking a lot and remembering a lot about my daughter recently because she graduated, she's about to go to college, and so we've been thinking back, having great memories. And and one of those memories I asked her if I could share was when she turned two years old, she went, we... My wife and I took her to get shots, and she, um, I hated that. That was awful. For the rest of my kids, they're all boys. I feel like they've deserved those shots, but she, <laughs> she didn't. And so we took her to Jason's Deli, and she thought we were taking her to Jason's Deli because she loved black olives. We were taking her to Jason's Deli because back then in Southeast Texas, the Jason's Deli kids' meal was 99 cents. And so Maddie's sitting there with her black olives, and she would put them on her fingers and just pop one by one into her hand and... And we're visiting, and she's feeling better. Her shots aren't hurting anymore. And I said, do you love Daddy? And she said, yes, I love Daddy. And I said, do you love Mommy? Yes, I love Mommy. And I said, do you love Jesus? And she goes, no, I don't love Jesus. Well, that, that's not really allowed at our house, right? I have to love Jesus. And so I said, no, you, you love Jesus. And she goes, no, I don't. I don't love Jesus. And I said, no, you do. I don't know if you know this. Preachers can be loud sometimes, I hear. So I said, no, you love Jesus. And she leans in just like her dad would and goes, no, I don't. And you can't make me. She had the doctrine of election down at two, right? And Laura kind of put her hand on me and said, hey, Maddie, why don't you love Jesus? And she goes, I don't love Jesus because I don't want to die on a cross. Oh, okay. So we said, Maddie, you're two. You don't have to die on a cross today to love Jesus. Okay, I love Jesus. So we're all we're all good. But I tell you, when, when Jesus kind of says, if, any, if anyone would come after me, you want to save your life, you're going to lose it. But if you'll lose your life, then you can keep it to life eternal. I wonder how many of us, as these Greeks hear, hear this in this moment, would go, no, I don't, I don't want to die on the cross. Wait, what are you talking about? The, the Christ remains forever. That's not what I'm signing up for. You see, there is no resurrection to new life without death of the old one. So if anyone would come after me, he must lose his life. See, that's what we see, that if we would follow Jesus, life comes through death. Next, we see a man who is fully God, but also fully man, and his soul is troubled. And I'd like to spend more time on this, but, but because we have 30 verses in 25 minutes, we're not going to spend a lot of time on this. But here's this difficult moment. My soul's troubled. He's going to bear the sins of the world. And He is God in the flesh. And He says, my soul's troubled. What shall I say? Save me from this hour. But it's for this hour I've come into the world. And I would just say that for the follower of Jesus, sometimes the hardest, difficult, and darkest hour, and hear me, there are hours where you are being harmed and the prayer is right to say, save me from this hour. And there are hours also that are dark and difficult and painful, where maybe God's call to us would be to go, what shall I say? Save me from this hour, but is it for this very hour that God's brought me to express the love of Jesus most fully through laying my life down? See, because if we're to follow Jesus, life and the expression of love of Christ comes through death. That's the first thing that we see in this hour. The next thing that we see is that Jesus has a passion for the Father to be glorified. What shall I say? Father, glorify your name. 
And then a voice came from heaven and says, I have glorified it and I will glorify it again. And then the crowd stood there. They didn't know what happened. As it thundered, as an angel talking, and Jesus said, no, this voice came for you. You need to understand my deep and abiding commitment to the glory of the Father. The glory of the Father. This is a beautiful teaching, but it's a hard teaching, and we don't often like it because we want a Jesus who will make much of us. And He loves us so dearly. And the cross expresses that so plainly, but we are not the stars of this story. Because God is not an idolater. He doesn't worship us. God is uppermost. He is preeminent in His own affections. And He has to be. And here's what I want you to hear. This is really, really good news for God to be committed to His glory above everything else. Another way to say that is that God's glory and His people's deepest joy are not at odds. God's passion to make His name known and His people's deepest joy are not at odds. Let me give you an example. Would you love a world without murder, rape, robbery, and deception? See, when the glory of God covers the earth like the waters cover the sea, there will be no more murder, rape, robbery, or deception. Would you love a world without cancer and racism and gossip and injustice? And when the kingdom of God comes on the earth and His will is done on earth as it is in heaven, there will be no more cancer or racism or gossip or injustice. And so God's commitment to His own glory is simultaneously a commitment to our ever-increasing joy in the new heavens and the new earth. And I don't want you to miss these three words, ever-increasing joy. So what that means, as you die, you go to be with the Lord, and you're there, and day one, Sin is gone. Brokenness is gone. It's the most joyful existence you could ever imagine. It can't get any better. But it's ever-increasing joy. So on day two, it does get a little bit better. But man, it cannot get better than day two. But on day three, it's better than day two. And because we're here for just a few minutes, we're not going to repeat this idea for all eternity. But that's what happens. It's ever-increasing joy. And God's commitment to His glory means a new heavens and a new earth. So when Jesus prays, Father, glorify Your name, He is simultaneously praying, God, give My people what will bring them the most joy. This is what I'm dying for. Well, it's not just good news. It is good news. But it's not just good news. It's biblical through and through. So we'll look just at a few verses that show God's passion for His glory, again, which, by the way, is passion for your and my deepest joy if you and I are indeed in Christ. We were created for God's glory. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth, whom I created for my glory. Isaiah 43, Isaiah 49, 3, you're my servant, Israel. God called Israel for His glory, in whom I'll be glorified. Ezekiel 20, the house of Israel rebelled against me in the wilderness. After the exodus, they rebelled. They did not walk in my statutes. They rejected my rules. And I said, I'll pour my wrath on them in the wilderness to make a full end of them. 
but I acted for the sake of my name, that it should not be profaned in the sight of the nations, in whose sight I brought them out. Jesus sought the glory of the Father in all He did. The one who speaks on His own authority seeks His own glory, but I seek the glory of who? Him who sent me. Jesus said He answered prayers so that the Father would be glorified. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do. Why? So that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Jesus' aim is that we would see and enjoy His glory. He's praying on the night before He dies, Father, I desire that they also, whom You have given Me, may be with Me where I am to see My glory. We're commanded to do everything. Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all, what? For the glory of God. God chooses and saves His people for His glory. Ephesians 1, 5 and 6, He predestined us for adoption through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace. God forgives our sins for His own sake. Isaiah 43, 25, I am He who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. In the New Jerusalem, the glory of God replaces the Son Now, when you think about that, that is just amazing because from what I understand of science, which is not very much, if the sun stops shining, we all die. Right? The earth freezes and it's just game over for everyone. And we die a horrible, freezing death. But in the new heavens and the new earth, there's no need for sun or moon because the glory of God gives it light. What's the glory of God? Jesus, the lamp, is the lamb. God plans to fill the earth with His glory. The knowledge of the glory of the Lord will cover the earth like the waters cover the sea. See, God couldn't say it more emphatically. Everything that happens will redound to His glory. For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever and ever. See, that glory of God is where our joy, our deepest and most abiding, ultimate joy lies. And the question is, if you're not going to give it to Him, who are you going to give it to? Who are you going to give it to? Don't answer that, okay? But I'll I'll give you an example of what it looks like when we don't give it to Him. In case you don't know who this is, this is Kylie Jenner. And Kylie Jenner is one of America's women billionaires, and her her father was one of the most decorated athletes of the 20th century. I had in my notes earlier this week to say that he was wealthy and successful on the cover of the Wheaties box, but then I thought everybody younger than me doesn't know what a Wheaties box is, so I won't say that. And then her mom, before she was married... Before her mom was married to her father, she was married to an extremely successful and wealthy lawyer. And oh, by the way, had a TV show where she had millions of followers before she began doing anything. And here's what Forbes says about Kylie Jenner. From a trucking titan to the immigrant taking on Elon Musk in space, our annual ranking of the 60 richest richest self-made women. Well, Kylie Jenner is the farthest thing in the world from self-made. And here's the reality, though. You and I are a lot like Kylie Jenner. So four of you might find that to be a compliment. It's not. But here's the reality. None of us are self-made. Wait, you don't know where I came from and what I've done. Right, but I do know that in Him we live and move and have our being. 
And He sustains all things by His powerful Word. So if you have intellect, you only have it because God's sustaining it. And if He stops, it's bad news. If you don't believe me, ask Nebuchadnezzar. See, He upholds all things. He gives us life and breath and everything else. So when the Scripture says it's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of the living God, it's because He's sustaining our heartbeats right now. We have nothing without Him. He gets the glory and we get the grace. So this concept of glory is hard for us to wrap our minds around because we love glory for ourselves. But in the Old Testament, there were strong, strong images. There's this bush that burns, but it's not consumed. There's Moses coming down from meeting with God, and he's so bright he has to wear a veil. There's a cloud that surrounds God's people by day and a fire by night. There's a vision in the temple that we'll talk about in a little bit where the temple's filled up with smoke, and the foundations of the thresholds of the temple are shaking. And when Jesus, though, wants to show the glory of God, He says, I've got a new image for you. It's a cross. And I'm on it. If I'm lifted up, I'll draw all people to Myself. Now we we think it's all people, and that makes sense, because that's the answer. The Greeks want to see Him, and He's saying it's no longer Jews, it's Gentiles. But in the Greek... The reality is, if we were to read this in the Greek, it would say, and when I'm lifted up from the earth, I will draw all to myself. People's not in there. It could mean people. It could mean nations. It could mean all creation, like Romans 8 points. But He's doing this work to spread the glory of God over all the earth. And He says, I'm going to draw all to Myself. And the people don't understand that Jesus is doing this thing. It's a reconciling work and He's purchasing a people from among all nations and making right all that is wrong with fallen creation. And the people say, what do you mean you must be lifted up? The Messiah remains forever. And they don't understand all these images that are coming together. When He says, I'm the light of the world, and when He says, I'm the son of David, well, He's going to also show Himself to be the suffering servant from Isaiah who lays his life down. He's the new Passover lamb. But in spite of all he's done, they just don't get it. While you have the light, believe in the light that you may become sons of the light. And some of you are here today and you do not know Jesus Christ as Savior and King. And the offer comes today that's not owed to anybody. While you have the light, believe in the light. Become sons of the light. Trust Jesus as Savior and King. See, He's done all these things and they just don't get it. At the end of verse 36, it says, When Jesus had said these things, He departed and He hid Himself from them. Verse 37, Though He had done so many signs before them, they still did not believe in Him. They had seen All of these miracles, they had heard about this risen Lazarus. They had seen a a man born blind from birth. Or blind from birth who's healed. And yet they still don't believe. And John says there's a reason they don't believe. They're responsible for their unbelief. And here's a great paradox of Scripture. They don't believe. Why? so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed our message, what he heard 
from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? And you see that and you go, well, that can't be actually right. Because it sounds like it's saying they couldn't believe so this prophecy would be fulfilled. And you go, well, there's no way it actually means that. Well, let's see what the next two verses say. Therefore, they could not believe. See, God's sovereign. And, and the Bible, we can't read it and, and it say what we want it to say. But we've got to read it and take it for what it says and trust that a good God sent His Son to die on a cross and we can put our hope in that God. But these people rejected Him. For again, Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn and I would heal them. And why did Isaiah say these things? Isaiah said these things because he saw His glory and spoke of Him. What did Isaiah see? Because they're looking at Jesus going... If I'm lifted up, wait, the Christ remains forever. What are you doing? Who is this guy? But Isaiah saw his glory. He saw pre-incarnate Christ. And here's what he said. He said, I saw the Lord seated on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of His robe was filling the temple, and above Him stood the seraphim, these angelic beings, each having six wings. And with two they covered their face, and with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. And one cried out to another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The earth is full of His glory. And the foundations of the thresholds of the temple shook at these angelic voices. And the temple was filled with smoke. And Isaiah, people talk a lot about their encounters with God. Isaiah had an encounter with God. And he said, Woe is me. I'm, I'm ruined. I'm undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. And then an angel, one of these seraphim, took a burning coal from the altar with tongs and touched his lips where he confessed his sin was from. And he says, this coal has touched your lips. Your sin is taken away. Your guilt is taken away. Your sin is atoned for. And then they said, whom shall I send? The voice of the Lord came. Whom shall I send? And who will go for us? And Isaiah said, here am I. Send me. And this is the prophecy that's being fulfilled. Isaiah is going to a hard people. Isaiah 6.10 is what's quoted here. And see, Isaiah saw his glory and these Jews just could not because he wasn't the Messiah they were expecting. He didn't match up to their expectations. And the problem was this that they thought he had chiefly must come for them and not for the glory of the Father. So, what we have to do is decide what kind of glory we're going to. Pursue, because this word glory keeps popping up. Verse 42, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in Him, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out or kicked out of the synagogue. Verse 43, For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. They love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Well, what in the world does this mean? Isaiah 43, 8 says, I will not share my glory with another. But then Romans 8, 17 says this, that we're God's children, and if children were heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him, in order that we may also 
be glorified with Him. We're going to share in His glory in some mysterious way in radiance and ever-increasing joy in this beautiful life, a new creation when we are co-heirs with Christ. And the Scripture says about that glorious existence that eye hasn't seen and ear hasn't heard and it hasn't entered into the heart of man the things that God has prepared for those that love Him. And this is... True, and yet still, Jesus will be the star of the story because He is God in the flesh, come from the Father with a glory you can't imagine. See, He said, whoever believes in Me, believes not in Me, but in Him who sent Me. And whoever sees Me, sees Him who sent Me. And I've come to the world as a light, so that whoever believes in Me may not remain in darkness. And this is what glorifies the Father, that we would walk in the light. So Mark's going to come, and we're going to sing one more song together. And we're going to do that because the Father has a purpose and a plan. He is inaugurated through His Son. And the invitation for all who would believe is to get on board with this beautiful restoration project. And here's the restoration project. It's that we announce with our words and our very lives that Jesus is King. And that He's using His church to bring about His kingdom while we wait for this day where the knowledge of the glory of the Lord covers the earth as the waters cover the sea. See, there's a a picture of this in Revelation that John gets and he, he tells about this worship that's going on and he says that the people are crying out this, Worthy are you, Jesus, to take the scroll and open its seals, for you were slain. And by your blood, you ransomed people for God. You have purchased this multinational people from every generation, every tribe, every tongue as a love gift for the Father. And you have made them a kingdom and priest to God. And they shall reign on the earth. So our confession for His glory and our joy this morning as we end is going to be the answer to this question is He worthy. So let's sing together. Let's stand together. Do you feel the world is broken? We do. Do you feel the shadows deepen? We do. the dark won't stop the light from getting through we do do you wish that you could see it all made new we do is all creation groaning it is is a new creation coming it is is the glory of the Lord to be the light within our midst it is is it good that we remind ourselves of this it is
anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave. Is he worthy? Is he worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy of this? He Does the Father truly love us? He does. Does the Spirit move among us? He does. And does Jesus, our Messiah, hold forever those He loves? He does. Does our God intend to dwell again with he died. Is anyone worthy? Is anyone whole? Is anyone able to break the seal and open the scroll? The Lion of Judah, who conquered the grave. He is David's root and the Lamb who died to ransom the slave From every people and tribe, from every nation and tongue He has made us a kingdom and priests to God to reign with the Son Is He worthy? Is He worthy of all blessing and honor and glory? Is he worthy? Is he worthy? Is he worthy of this? He is. Is he worthy? Is he worthy? He By your blood, you ransom people for the Father from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you've made us a kingdom and priests to our God. And one day we will reign on this earth. So we give you glory. And that's our prayer this week, that we would go and give you glory and that we would be full of joy in your presence as we do. We pray in your name. Amen. And you're dismissed.